What's up, everybody? This is Mike Isicki, tight end for the Miami Dolphins, and welcome to the All-Star Sports Podcast with your hosts, Gabe and Rafi. Hello, hello. And um, today we'll start off talking about some big news. J.J. Watt was released from the Texans. So, yeah. Gabe, want to start off with your thoughts on that? Is correct. J.J. Watt released from the Texans. I mean... He asked out, um, I mean, three-time Defensive Player of the Year award, five career Pro Bowls, 101 sacks in, his t- in 10 years, while missing large parts of many seasons due yeah. to injury. Uh, he's one of the best edge rushers. Well, really to ever do it. Yeah. I mean, a clear, no doubt, Hall of Famer. Yeah, I mean, I feel like people forget how dominant he is because, you know, he hasn't played. I mean, he he hasn't played a full season since 2018. Well, he did this year, but he had a big off year this year. Um, But that's really because he didn't, like, almost care. Not that he didn't care, but again, he didn't want to be there. But his last full season where he wanted to be there, 16 sacks. Then before that, 17, 20 sacks, 10 sacks, 20 sacks, right? He's so dominant, when healthy, one of the best edge rushers in the league. I mean, and I mean, he's, there's been him... There have been J.J. Watt trade and release rumors since the beginning of this this past season because he was unhappy with the team. He wants a ring. He's one of the best pass rushers in the league. Right. I agree. I think I have a few possible destinations for him. The big one is the Steelers. I have that one too. Both of his brothers are there. been a lot of rumors flying around that he might go there. I think it would be... And especially if they lose Bud Dupree. Right. But I think J.J. Watt would take a pay cut to play for, A, a team that looks like they maybe could win a ring, and, B, to play with his brothers. Yeah. Um, My next destination is the Cleveland Browns. I also have the Um, Cleveland Browns. Obviously, they have, in my opinion, the best defensive end in the league in um, Miles Garrett. And Olivier Vernon is very good, but A, I said this lots of times last video in the mock draft, and I'm going to say it again, you need more than two good edge rushers, and also Olivier Vernon's probably not going to be in Cleveland next year, so J.J. Watt would fit that perfectly. Imagine just a defensive end line of facing Miles Garrett and J.J. Watt. Right. That's just frightening to think. J.J. Watt. And then imagine having to play them twice a year. Right. He, he would be playing his brothers twice a year. He'd be um, playing my team twice a year. Right. I'm um, going to list a team that I think he won't go to, but it would be really fun to, if he did go there, and that's the Miami Dolphins. Hmm. They already have a really, really good defense, and it'd be uh, – and I think if they make the right moves this offseason, especially in the draft, with they have a ton of draft capital, I could see them as dark horse Super Bowl contenders next season. Honestly. And that's from an yeah, honest standpoint. I, if I two mean, can make the right jumps and they make the right moves in the offseason, I think they are a real Super Bowl contender. Uh, yeah, I mean, I don't disagree except for the fact that they're the Chiefs. But right. if, I, they're, if two are, of them develop... 
Right. Um, yeah. So my next one isn't one that I think he's going to go to because they're not, like, an amazing team, but it would be, like, a perfect fit, and that's the Las Vegas Raiders. Um, they have, again, I said this last time, Cleveland Furl, Max Crosby, Carl Nassib, Vic Beasley, Tack McKinley, players that you think of as good pass rushers, and then their pass rushing numbers, just their the Raiders' total rushing numbers are terrible pass rushing. They need a, a classic 4-3 defensive end. J.J. Watt would fit that role perfectly. And while he's not going to go there because they're not like a Super Bowl contender, I think like they love it and it'd be a great fit. Yeah. Only my next team, and that is the Buffalo Bills. All right. I think they are obviously Super Bowl contenders if they can knock off the Chiefs somehow, some way, especially in the AFC. But Buffalo Bills, they had a great defense last year, and their offense was the issue. It was the opposite this year. Well, they did. You can't say their defense was the issue. They had an elite defense. Their offense was just better. I wouldn't say they had an elite defense this year. I'd say so. I mean, they had a great linebacking core. They have good pass rush. Jerry Hughes, Mario Addison, Trent Murphy, A.J. Epinesa. They got Ed Oliver. And they got Tredavious White. All right. But I, I think they have the potential to be an elite defense this year. Do they not play as an elite unit? But Bill's obviously great offense. And J.J. Watt. It feels the Bills feel like such a fun team to play for, just generally, especially with this roster that we currently have. The Bills this year are the Ravens of last year. Yeah, I would agree. I would agree with that statement. Um, but yeah, uh, my next fit is um, the the Seattle Seahawks. Um, and their pass rush is just terrible. Their best pass rusher is Carlos Dunlap, who they recently got. I mean, like, um, Carlos Dunlap, solid pass rusher. Then it's Benson, Mayoa, LJ Collier, and Alton Robinson. I mean, they're terrible. J.J. Watt wants to go to a team that'll win. We know their defense is terrible. J.J. Watt can help that out. And, um... They're definitely a win-now Super Bowl contender. And it could also help out if you get, like, an edge rusher in J.J. Watt, you would be able to make Russell Wilson feel better and be able to get a line and, you know, your second-round pick and be able to just spend your time getting a line um, even though – and um, because you got J.J. Watt. Not saying that it would make their defense good – but it would make it enough to the point that you can, you don't have to spend your first pick on it so that you can keep Russell Wilson. I I agree. I don't think Russell Wilson's going anywhere. Like, absolutely. I agree, but you want to make him happy. Right. You do want to make your franchise player happy. The Seahawks are always a contender to sign, at least recently sign, big defensive free agents. Because their defense has not been good ever since the Legion of Boom was dismantled. Um, they they have Jamal Adams, who I add outside linebacker, really. I mean, he's technically a strong safety, but he's really an outside I, linebacker. I mean, I think the whole Jamal Adams linebacker thing I, isn't really true. 
yes, he isn't good in coverage, but you can have a strong safety that just plays in the box and blitzes and is a great run stopper. I know. I'm saying he plays more as a traditional uh, outside linebacker because he's pretty much he's constantly in the box. He's constantly in the box. Yeah, but strong safeties can play. You can have I know, a strong I know. safety. I know. Just saying. He's a lot like an outside linebacker. Bobby, they Bobby Wagner in the middle, obviously, arguably the best middle linebacker in football. I think he is. And then you add JJ Watts to that edge. Those are three of arguably the, the best player at those three positions in in all of football. I don't is, know if I'd say anymore that it's arguably JJ Watt. I think it's pretty clear there are two better defensive ends than him. If you're considering right. TJ Watt a defensive end. But yes, JJ Watt is like Top he's elite. Three. He's, right. he's, he's more elite. than elite. He's a top three right. player at his position. Um, and and they also could... got Shaquille right. Griffin. Right. You tra- You have you you. You start building. You start building a foundation. You obviously, with Bobby Wagner and JJ Watt's age, you probably only have three, maybe maybe four years to build another elite defense and try to win another Super Bowl because they can't win a Super Bowl with this current roster. I'm sorry. Their defense is just too bad. They, they stepped it up in the last couple of weeks of the season, but they're just their defense is just not good enough to contend for a Super Bowl right now. Uh, you, have, you have a foundation with those three key players. I think if you make the right decision in free agency and in the draft, the, within the next three years, the Seahawks are, in a, are a Super Bowl contender again. Yeah, I agree. Um, and they were a good team this year, just didn't have a good defense. Right. Now, my next one, I now I've always said that debatably the most important thing is fit, how a player fits. And I'm gonna list two teams that JJ Watt does not really fit in their defense. There are certain players like J.J. Watt that are just good enough that if you get him on your team, you'll still be happy because he's going to do well for you, even though he doesn't fit. And my first one is my favorite team, the Baltimore Ravens. Baltimore Ravens run a 3-4. J.J. Watt can't really play 3-4 outside linebacker, but he's good enough that you just stick him on the end, even in a 3-4, and he'll get sacks for you and he'll do well. Even though he doesn't, he's not a great fit, I still think you have to put 3-4 teams on here just because he's so good. Mm-hmm. I, I guess I would agree. I don't think he signs with the Ravens whatsoever. If we're going purely off predictions, I do think he signs with the Cleveland Browns. I say, I say Steelers. I say Browns. Um, but I see which I see your point. He I feel like he would be dominant enough that he could dominate pretty much wherever you put him on the defensive line. But I, yeah, and I, I don't mean, know. I just I just don't know. I just don't know. I agree with probably, you that, and we're probably gonna lose Matthew Judon. Right. Um, so but do you have any, you, yeah, I, I do mean, not have any more teams. So I have one more team, and it's the same situation as the Ravens. Mm-hmm. Not a good fit, but just good enough of a player that you can put him there, and that's the Tennessee Titans. Another 3-4-D, but a, Titans is a little bit more of a fit just because, well, the Titans and the Ravens out of 3-4 defenses are kind of the best you'll get because they both rush so much. 
that um that and you're gonna lose your Davion Clowney probably so it'd be um oh um I'm hearing we're having some audio issues. Sorry if that's a problem, but Gabe, do you hear what I'm saying? I do hear what you're saying. Um, yeah, and I just think that it, even without the perfect fit, he's still good enough. All right. So I that moves us on here to our next segment. We are going to do our three most underrated athletes of all time and three most overrated athletes of all time. Rafi, why don't you kick us off with your first underrated athlete? All right. So my first underrated athlete is Dennis Johnson. Um, Dennis Johnson, um, you had to expect that he was going to be on here. He's widely known as one of the most underrated players of all time because he's one of the best defenders in NBA history. I mean, he had... Dennis Johnson had a def- had 42.7 defensive win shares in his career. And when you have 42.7 defensive win shares in your career and in your prime years, you're averaging 15 points a game, then that's good enough on offense to the point that um, with that defense, you're so good. You're still, like, very good. And, I mean, he was overshadowed by Larry Bird. Obviously, Larry Bird is a lot better, but he was overshadowed by by him, and um, he is a great player. And, I mean, it took him, what, 30 years to be inducted into the Hall of Fame. Right. Which is crazy. Right. I think I, I also have Dennis Johnson on my underrated list. He he was the glue of the Celtics teams in with Larry Bird, Kevin McHale, Robert Parrish, right? He was the defensive glue that held those teams together. I mean, he had grit. He had consistency. I don't think they would have prevailed against the, the Lakers in those in, in those NBA finals without Dennis Johnson. He was, he was the piece. He was the last piece of the puzzle that held everything else together, right? Yeah. So, yeah. Yeah, I mean I feel like his his play is just drained out because he played on those teams with Larry Bird, Kevin McCallum, Robert Parrish. But the fact that it took thirty something years to for him to be inducted into the Hall of Fame is just idiotic. Yeah, I agree. One of the best defensive players in NBA history, just like the grit and grind of an NBA player. And yeah. yeah. Um, so, well, if that's your next one, um, then I'll go with my next one. Now, with this one, I wouldn't say he's a top three most underrated player of all time, and it's probably biased that I'm putting him on here, but I don't think he gets the respect that he deserves, and I did want to put him on here. So, mine is Bobby Hurley. I want to say this. Bobby, I'm not including anything he did in the NBA. I'm saying he is an underrated college basketball player. Um, so, you really, with Bobby Hurley, you look most at you look at you can look at his sophomore year and at his um, uh, junior and senior year. You can't look at that freshman year because it is college. He didn't really get minutes, and I mean, Bobby Hurley. 
Um, his last two years, he averaged 13.2 and 17 points per game. He's one of the best, one of the best, if not the best passers in college basketball history. And um, he's great on defense. One of the biggest thing about Bobby Hurley is his the turnovers he first forced. He he had a turnover percentage of 19. That means it's estimated that out of every 100 defensive plays, he got a turnover 19 times out of the 100, which is insane. 19 out of 100 times he got a turnover. He averaged in his college career, what collegiate career, 1.4 steals per game. Um, he averaged in his career 7.7 assists per game, and he had two national championships as one of the best players on the team. Everyone looks at Christian Leitner on these teams. Don't get me wrong, Christian Leitner was our best player, but Bobby Hurley was an amazing player that deserves to be known as one of the better college basketball players of all time. I guess I agree. As you know, I despise Duke, but he is underrated. As you were saying, one of the best defensive college basketball players of all time. Are like, um, yeah, yeah. I mean, played on some of the best college basketball teams of all time. And, and one won. thing about him that's really underrated is people just look at the passing and the defense. He had a career three-point percentage of 41. He was a good shooter. He had a really weird form, and I mean like a really weird shooting form, but he was a a good shooter. If you put someone like Bobby Hurley in today's NBA, they would 1,000% succeed. Yeah, but the whole thing with Bobby Hurley is – the whole thing about Bobby Hurley in the NBA is he was like – an average for someone that was in, you know, your first three years. Then he got into a terrible motorcycle accident and he tried to come back, but he was never the same and eventually retired after like five years in the NBA. Right. Saying you put someone like Bobby Hurley in the NBA today and they would dominate. Elite, elite defender, excellent, excellent passer, and someone who can shoot. That's yeah. right. That is three of the most important features an NBA player needs today to succeed. Yeah. And I, I agree. I don't know if I would call him top three, but I agree. Yeah. I'll move yeah. on to my next one, my number two. I have Curtis Martin. He, I, I think, I would say he didn't do anything great. But he did everything well, right? He was he had de- decent speed. He was he's good. He had good agility. I mean, he rushed for a thousand yards in his first ten seasons in the NFL. He he played for the Patriots and for the Jets. He retired as the fourth leading rusher in NFL history. And yeah. Super underrated. He is a Hall of Famer. Yeah. Um, I mean, he, yeah. he played against an amazing O-line, though. And 
I, I didn't want to put running back. I was thinking about him. I didn't want to put running backs in here, especially when that played against a great that played against a great O line. In my opinion, to be a running back on a list like this, you can't just do everything well, like you said. You have to go over the top because I think a running back has to go over the top to be put on lists like this because a running back like with a good O line, it just doesn't take that good of a running back to succeed. Yeah. I, I I guess I agree, but you look you look at his career stats. I mean, three thousand five hundred eighteen yards, four yards a carry, ninety touchdowns, in one hundred sixty eight career games. He's a how many time Pro Bowler? He's a five time Pro Bowler. Played first three years with with New England. He made a Super Bowl in nineteen ninety six, but Played the rest of his years with the Jets. Played for 10 years in the NFL. Um, his best season was probably 2004. Definitely 2004. Ran for 1,697 yards on 337, 371 carries. Both of those led the NFL. He had 12 TDs, 12 rushing touchdowns. That season, he also had six... He also had two receiving touchdowns, which was tied for the second most he ever had in his career. He put up the numbers. I get the O-line argument, but he put up great numbers, and he is not really talked about. Yeah, I agree he's underrated. I just don't know if he can put him in, like, a top three. But um, he is underrated. He is a great running back that deserves to be in the Hall of Fame. Um, my next guy, um, and my last guy is Marvin Harrison. Um, he obviously one of the best quarter quarterback receiver duos of all time is Peyton Manning and Marvin Harrison. Um, um, our Marvin Harrison had, um, Marvin Harrison had eight years in a row with over 1,000 yards, which is insane. There were eight years in a row when Marvin Harrison had over 1,000 yards, which, like, is crazy. In his career, he averaged having 1,121 yards per year. And that's including the year that he only got a little bit of yards because he was hurt for most of the year. He had um, 14,580 career receiving yards. Um, he... He was not the fact. In my opinion, he won what one, two Super Bowls. In my opinion, Marvin Harrison might be the third best receiver of all time, behind Jerry Rice or Randy Moss. And yet, he wasn't a first ballot Hall of Famer. He wasn't a second ballot Hall of Famer. Took three years for him to even get into the Hall of Fame. And in my opinion, he's the third best receiver of all time. Forgot about Marvin Harrison. I'm not gonna lie to you. Forgot about Marvin Harrison making up this this list. I don't I don't know if I would agree with third best wide receiver of all time, but but I do agree that he he is extremely underrated. I'd probably put him over Curtis Martin if I'm being honest with you. Right? As you said, one of the best wide receiver quarterback duos of all time. I think maybe second best, only behind Montana and Rice. But, yeah. 
I'm gonna move on to my last underrated player. I put I I put Stan Musial. He's a 20-time career All-Star, three-time MVP, fourth on the all-time MLB hit hit list, career slash sign of 331, 417, 559, Hall of Famer, arguably a top five hitter of all time, and I feel like no one really talks talks about him like he is. Right? You 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 can just look at those those three those four things. And he's a no doubt top five hitter of all time. Twenty time all star. Don't care when you played, making the all star game twenty times is, is Yeah, it's insane. Incredibly impressive, right? Yeah. Three time MVP, fourth all time on the MLB hit list. As um, Gabe, I think we Arguably lost you for a second. Can you repeat top that? Top three hitter of all time. Gabe, I think oh. we lost you for a second. Can you repeat yes, that? Yes, I was just, yep. Um, I was just saying how I feel like he isn't just talked about enough as yeah one of the greatest hitters of all time. Yeah, I agree. Right? I agree the, with this. In reality, I'd put him over Bobby Hurley, but I just needed to mention Bobby mm-hmm. Hurley. But um, career OPS of 976, right. slugging of 559, on base of 417 with a batting average of 331, almost 500 career home runs with 475. He isn't talked about enough. One of the best hitters of all time, and I definitely agree with this. Right. I think his downfall might be that he he only made the playoffs four times in his 22-year career with the Cardinals. But mm-hmm. all four of those times he made the World Series, won it three times. But he's a 20-time All-Star in a 22-year career. And I can't count his rookie season because he played 12 games in, his, in, in, in 1941. He played 12 games. Practically a 21-career season, 20-time All-Star. Yeah, and one thing that's really he's, cool about Stan Musial is that he had a four-year run where he was like he was good, and then he went he fought in World War II in 1945, then came back and did better, which is so surprising because right. like you know what being in the military does to your body, like they don't care that you're in a baseball they want you know you to be in the shape that you want to be in even if you know it makes right. it a little bit slower because you're bigger or whatever so um and it was amazing that he just did his service and then came back and did even better right you look at his numbers post-service after 1945 first year back in 1946 he had 365 that's like percentage 587 OPS of 1,022, OPS plus of 183, 1,021, excuse me, won the MVP award. Like, that's just absurd. To come back from the military where some people are nowhere near the same, right? Like, what the military can, what serving in the military can do to your brain is completely wild to come back, to think that he came back and just dominated like it was nothing, right? He 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 led the MLB that year in in hits, 
in in doubles and triples. He had 20 triples in a single season. 20 in, in triples. Batting average, slugging percentage, OPS, OPS plus, and total bases. He won the MVP. Wild to think of that. Yeah, I mean, you look at, yeah, I mean, you look at like Yogi Berra. Yogi Berra's rookie year was nineteen forty six, and coming into that, he was considered like one of the best upcoming players to be in the MLB. And like he was like people thought he was a guaranteed rookie of the year, but after military service, it took him it took him like four years to get back into his one hundred percent. Right, Stan usual did it in a snap. Uh, he as you as we keep saying, he he is not talked about enough as, in my opinion, a yeah. top five hitter in, of all time. And he so sho- I guess he shows loyalty. Played his whole career with the Cardinals, right? Um, I guess we'll move on now to overrated. Rafi, if you want to kick us off with your first yes. one. So my first two overrated players are two players that I've made the same argument to many of my friends, and they are players that I feel very strongly that they are overrated. Mm-hmm. My first one is Joe Namath. Joe Namath. I also have Joe Namath. I feel Joe like Namath this pretty obvious. is the most overrated player in sports history. He had a 50.1% completion percentage with a QB rating of 65.5. He had one great throw in the 1968 AFL championship game where Obviously, it wasn't the stat, but I saw a thing that, like, with the wind and from the angle he was throwing at, he threw the ball, like, 75 to 80 yards to win the game. That then brought them to the Super Bowl where they eventually won. But if he doesn't make that one throw, he doesn't make the the Hall of Fame. And yet he's known as, like, one of the best quarterbacks of all time. Right. People people call him a winner. He's 2-1 in the playoffs in his career. Right, he had a he had a touchdown to interception ratio of one seventy three to two hundred and twenty. Yeah, he is the most undeserving Hall of Famer in in all of sports. Forget just the NFL in all of sports. Maybe. I and let alone just being in the Hall of Fame, he's considered a top quarterback of all time. Right, he's like to the casual fan. Joe Namath is looked at as a top quarterback of all time, which yeah. is blasphemy. Right? Um, I mean, obviously, one of the best sports moments of all time by Super Bowl three thing, but come on. Yeah. He was he was a bad quarterback. He wasn't even like he was an average quarterback and got the, made in the Hall of Fame. He was a bad well, quarterback. Here's what I'll say. Here's what I'll say. I think Joe Namath – was like an average to above average quarterback. So you have to understand is like having a 50% completion percentage was like average back then. It's not the same stats as now. Like Joe Namath, in my opinion, was like an average to above average quarterback. He's not close to a Hall of Famer, in my opinion. He's like an average quarterback. If you put these stats today, he's a bad quarterback. He's a a really bad quarterback. It's not right. So I guess all I also had Joe Namath. I'll move on to my next one, which I'm pretty sure you all also have, but it's Terry Bradshaw. 
Agree. I think we might have the same. We might have the same exact three. This is the other one I feel very strongly about. I've made the same argument to lots of my friends. Right. He's a one-to-one touchdown interception ratio, seventy-point-nine QBR, completion percentage just above fifty percent, while being surrounded by what some of the greatest teams ever assembled. I mean, right? the whole thing about Terry Bradshaw is that he won four Super Bowls. He won four no, which makes people think he's one of the best quarterbacks of all time. But he was carried by the best defensive dynasty in NFL history. Like, consistently, right. the Steel Curtain Steelers were, like, the some of the best teams, some of the best defenses in the NFL history we've ever seen. And, I mean, Terry Bradshaw has a co- career completion percentage of 51.9%. And um, – and a QB rating of 70.9. And one thing about Terry Bradshaw is Terry Bradshaw played in, like, by the time Terry Bradshaw played, like, quarterbacks started having a little bit better completion percentages. But, like, Terry Bradshaw didn't. Terry Bradshaw was, like, Terry Bradshaw was an above. Joe Namath was an average quarterback. Terry Bradshaw was an above-average quarterback. Right. Three-time Pro Bowler, one one All Pro, but Terry Bradshaw, he never he he he, uh, just not a good quarterback. He's good quarterback, nowhere near Hall of Fame deserving. Never threw for over four thousand yards in a single season. The highest he ever threw was three thousand seven hundred twenty-four. He 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 never threw for thirty TDs in a single season. He he. He only threw under nine interceptions once in his career, where he threw eight. Jesus Christ. In, and where he played seven games that season, and he threw eight interceptions. Oh, my God. Terry Bradshaw is not, no, is not a Hall of Fame-deserving quarterback. The only reason he's in the Hall of Fame is because he won four rings, and that maybe, just maybe, pushes him into the Hall of Fame. Just maybe. Yeah, I mean... If the Hall of Fame was by the rules I'd want it to be, then he doesn't deserve it. But if you're a quarterback that wins for Super Bowls, you're going to get in. Right. But like, yeah, I agree. Especially if you went 4-0. But, yeah. yeah. So then my next one is one that I assume is also your next one. I think we're going to end up having all the same three for overrated, which could be just expected. That's Derek Jeter. Derek Jeter. Derek Jeter was a really good person, and he was the face of baseball for what he stood for, and he was so loyal. He played his whole career with the Yankees from 1995 to 2014, almost 20 years, 19 years. I'm not taking anything away from what Derek Jeter did to the game of baseball because he was the face of baseball. He was a great person, and um, and – and what he stood for was what baseball needed. But as a player, he's so overrated. He had an all-time war of 71.3, which is 92nd in MLB history, yet he's considered right. one of the best shortstops of all, all time. He had a career OPS of 817, which is 
it's pretty good. It's not as good as you'd want it to be, and someone considered as good as he is. He was he's people think of him as a great fielder just because they've seen cool videos of him making yeah, jump throws. But he was a he was fielder. he was a terrible fielder. Right. He had a defensive career defensive war of negative nine point four and a career and an RDRS of negative one sixty five. Right, and I, he was a good hitter. But he was never really, I don't know if I would call him a great hitter even, right? Like, his his highest career batting average was, was 349. He was He's not extremely a, impressive. He was a, he never but, had any power. Like, right. he, he got, was, a, he got he was the fact a, that he has an 817 OPS is because of doubles. Right. He, he was a bad fielder, a good to one or two great years hitting. To call him the best shortstop of all time is just flat out wrong. I mean, I... Incorrect. Yeah. Like, I get he... he You mentioned the war. Larry Walker has a higher career war than Derek Jeter. Right? Yeah. And it took Larry Walker 10 years to get into the Hall of Fame. Yeah. Right? Like Yeah, and the thing about Derek Jeter is, like... Derek Jeter almost was anonymous, and I'm not unlike the other two guys. I'm not saying Derek Jeter shouldn't be in the Hall of Fame. I think it would have been nice if Derek Jeter was the first ever anonymous, or not anonymously, like you, unanimous right. player voted to the Hall of Fame because Derek Jeter is an amazing face of baseball, and he deserves to be a unanimous Hall of Fame vote. Unlike these other two guys, but as a player, he's very overrated. Right, and I think a lot of people also point to his playoff stats, which are fairly. I mean, career playoff batting average of three hundred eight, OBP of three seventy four, slugging percentage of four sixty five, career playoff OPS of three eighty three eighty eight thirty. Yeah, I, eight thirty eight. I was Sorry, about to say you were like three eight. I was like, yeah, a uh, twenty career home runs in thirty three series in thirty. 20 home runs. Get me wasn't a home run hitter, but still, 32 doubles in, in 33 series. As a just, in my opinion, just not in a like a good about a well above average playoff hitter, but still not a great playoff hitter, right? He just, yeah. I agree with that. He was he was the face of baseball. Baseball needed him. But he is nowhere deserving, just off of stats. This is just off of stats. Nowhere deserving of the unanimous MVP. Just off, not MVP, Hall of Fame. Just off oh, of stats. Oh, 100%. 100%. Right. Um, yeah. So moving right. on to our next segment. Last Friday, we had a very fun episode. It was a great episode. It was our first ever mock all-star sports podcast mock draft now because of that we didn't get to put out our usual rankings friday so we're going to make up for it for doing our rankings in this week's tuesday and friday episode so do you have any honorable mentions i do not so i have one honorable mention and my honorable mention is joe buck buck Now, Joe Buck is a tricky one for me for two reasons. First of all, I used to hate him. He's gotten a lot better over time. He's learned to not say as many stupid things, 
to not talk as much because one of his to he learned to get a little bit more excited. But a lot of the times right. he even talks too much, but he's not excited. He's just like, blah, 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 blah. but um, I but I don't like I still don't like how he calls baseball games. He's a much better football announcer. I like how he calls football games. Maybe not as much as the CBS or NBC crew, but he's a fine football announcer, deserving of the honorable mention. By the way, um, we're doing. Did I forget to mention what we're doing? We're doing top ten commentators right now. Right, not Sorry all time, just right now. Yeah, I may have. That was really stupid by me. I may have forgotten, but um. Yeah. All right. right. So I guess I'll move on to my number 10, which is also Joe Buck. I agree that he's gotten better. I he's just too boring for me to put put him up higher. Doesn't get excited that often. Talks a little bit just like as you said, just like just blabber, right? It doesn't sound important when he's talking. So One more thing in my honorable mentions, not actually an honorable mention for being a good announcer, but I got to give a shout out to my guy, Booger McFarland. We all know that on fourth and goal with 30 seconds left, you got to spike it. You got to spike it. Stop the clock. I mean, yeah. But on a serious note, my number 10 is Gus Johnson. Um, Great. Um, college football and basketball announcer. One of my favorite guys to watch on March. The great thing is, like, nowadays on, first of all, the round of 64 on March Madness is probably, like, the, my favorite couple days of the year because you're just constantly flipping through multiple exciting games with a bunch of upsets. Right. And Gus Johnson is my favorite guy that's, like, he doesn't do the, you know, the late-night primetime games like the Dick Vitals. And you know the Grant or Grant Hills is the NBA, right? But um, or the you know really big guys, you know the what's his face, Jay Billis's. Mm-hmm. But um, he does on March Madness. He'll do like just the 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 you know regular day games, which is right. usually where the most upsets are. And he just gets so enthusiastic and excited. And right, he's he'll do some announcer. Right, he'll do like the number six versus number eleven round sixty four yeah. games at like noon. Right, and he makes them excited. He's the person that I you, yeah. He's the person that you turn on to during math class, watching on your computer. Yeah, I have Gus Johnson lower simply because of March Madness. Yeah, I'll, I'll um, move on to my number nine, and it is CBS's Ian Eagle. He does a lot of different stuff. He does he does NBA, he does NFL, he does college basketball, he does the Brooklyn Nets stuff, he does he looks. He does a lot of different things. He even does the French Open. Uh, he, he, I just, I'd like him, but I just, I don't know why. Just something about him. Just, he's just okay to me. He's just okay to me. Um, but Ian Eagle, he, I have a lot of iconic memories watching him commentate CBS games, right? Uh, the most recent one I can think of is, Hail Murray, but yeah. I he has a few iconic moments, right? Like I could think of here. I'm trying to think, like uh, Cavs Pacers in 2018 when LeBron hit that game winner. I like Ian, Ian Eagle. 
Just don't love him. Yeah. Just doesn't yeah. have quite enough for me. Yeah. One thing about me is um, this doesn't really have anything to do with what you just said. I think Ian Eagle's a good announcer. I just he just didn't crack my top ten. One thing I'll say is I don't have really like local announcers on mine. Um, I mean, they're mainly just national broadcasters. One thing is one announcer I do really like who I didn't mention in my honorable mentions was Jay Billis. But Ian Eagle, he's Ian Eagle is a really good sports mind. It's almost like he'd be better as an analyst, mm-hmm. right? But, like, as a play-by-play commentator, he's not, like, exciting to watch. Right. He's, like, he knows a lot about sports. And he's a great sports mind. Right. Yeah. So, my number nine is Tom Rinaldi. Um, um, this year made a big switch to Fox Sports. But, um, really, a college football guy just knows a lot about college football. He'll do your pregame show, pop on a couple times during the game, and he just knows another guy like Ian Eagle that, like, could be higher on this list, but is just here because he's a great sports mind, knows a lot about sports, but isn't all that exciting to watch. Right. I don't have – I. I or the opposite here. I, he did not crack my top ten. Uh, mostly because I watch a lot more NFL than I do college football. So I see a lot more Ian Eagle. But did not crack my top ten. So I guess I'll move on to my number eight. You probably have her. Her. That's right. Lower down. But I have Doris Burke. I have simply, a little bit lower down. Right. Simply because she is not really a play-by-play announcer. Right. She, she's more she's she's more of a sideline announcer but Doris Burke a great person right uh, one of the a great college advocate women's, right great educated college college basketball player does a lot of NBA stuff has a lot of iconic moments right does the NBA on ABC but been commentating for a long time she she does she's I just like her I don't know a lot of people really like her I like her but yeah yeah all right so I have Doris Burke a little lower on my list but I she just knows so much about each individual player that it's so impressive Right. And she like she's really good with coaches and interviews, and I know she's not a play-by-play person, but she's really, but she is very good and a great person advocator. Right. So my number eight is Kirk Herbstreet, um, uh, college game day guy. Well, um, doesn't usually pop on during games, but I still considered him an announcer because he does some games. Uh, he does some of like the ESPN watch things that started happening recently. Um, and I mean, he knows a lot. He is unlike the last two guys. He is like, he gets more excited. He's a little bit more enthusiastic and yeah, he, but he does know a lot and he is still a good mind and he's a, he's a good guy to watch. All right. So I don't, once I don't have him, 
don't watch a lot of ton of college football, but I guess I'll move on to my number seven. Somebody you already mentioned, it is Gus Johnson. Uh, I was talking about him earlier, but just such a just March. He's just so many times just makes unexciting games exciting, right? It's the random round 64, like the, the, the 12 v five games, right. Where you get these big upsets and these teams that end up going pretty far and end up being the, the Loyola Chicago's, right. The Loyola Chicago's. That's what I was about to say. Right. He makes those games exciting. Like Gus Johnson. I have a lot of memories watching Gus Johnson. Um, used to do the NFL. Doesn't do that anymore. But he did the NFL. Yeah, he did yeah, for knows? a couple of years. But yeah. yeah, I remember remember watching yeah. random Maryland college football game a few years ago. I remember a specific call that I see up here. I'm just getting flashbacks, I guess. The Forced fumble by by Denzel Ward. Ohio State, Maryland? Yeah. Woo! What a hit. Denzel Ward. You've got a barbecue back there and you didn't invite me. Hurt my feelings, right? Just makes... Yeah. Just... Yeah. I just like him. I like him. Yeah. Um, Great announcer. I already talked about him a little bit earlier. Just so exciting, so awesome. Seems like a dude you'd want to hang out with. Right. Um, so my number seven is someone you already have, and that's Doris Burke. Amazing announcer. Again, not really a play-by-play guy, just knows so much about each individual player and coach. Great in interviews. Knows just a great basketball mind and a great person and advocator. All right, so I guess we'll move on to my number six. You might have him a bit lower, but it's Kevin Harlan. I have him lower. Yeah. A um, little bit. Does the does the NBA? I feel like you should know that. Does the NBA mostly? A little um, bit of football. A little bit of football. A little bit of football. Mostly the NBA. Son of Pack, old Packers executive. Just learned that Bob Harlan, but. Um, has some extremely iconic calls, right? Like LeBron James with no regard for human life, right? Um, yeah. I, does he, the, the Kawhi Leonard bounces like a million times, finally goes in. But I like Kevin Harlan. Don't watch a ton of the NBA. I have one more NBA announcer just just barely edges him. But yeah, I really like Kevin Harlan, number six. Um, yeah, I have him a little bit lower, not too much lower, but he's an amazing announcer. I'll talk about him a little bit more when I get there, but just some exciting calls. So my number six is Jim Nance, um, CBS reporter alongside Tony Romo. Um, and 
just an amazing person. He's one of the more classic announcers. He's been doing it for a while. Not hasn't been doing it nearly as long as some other two guys who I'll have coming up in the NFL. But um, I saw the Super Bowl was his 100th Tom Brady game, um, and um, yeah, just an amazing announcer. Knows a lot about it kind of the perfect ratio of getting excited versus knowing about the about the game and yeah all right so i'll move i've i have i'll move on to my number five i have jim nance at number five um been doing it for a long time he he's he's been the play-by-play announcer for cbs since 2004 right he knows a ton he knows a ton, but unlike the guys that have a little bit higher on this list, like Ian Eagle, he's still an exciting person to listen to, yeah. right? He he still knows a ton, but he can he can get excited still. Been doing it forever. When you're doing it, when you've been commentating for that long, you know a lot of different people and you have a lot of different stories, which is something he, which is cool that he brings to the table, mixed with Tony Romo, who obviously played in the NFL. Yeah, I think he. I really like him, and I think he mixes really well with Tony Romo. Yeah. Um, report that. Yes, I'll go to my number five, who are number five and six. I think were just switched. I had mm-hmm. Kevin Harlan. Obviously, the great LeBron call that you talked about, and just a very exciting person with almost like the basketball version of Jim Nance, kind of. Just yeah, I gr- can see that. Yeah, a great ratio of knowing about the game and having exciting calls, and yeah, just a very good announcer. And yeah. All right, one of my number four, which is Mike Breen, NBA announcer. He does NBA on on ABC and does Nick Nick's names on Madison Square Garden Network. Right, he's he's been doing it for a really long time. Um, twenty this season is his twenty ninth season doing it. Has some extremely iconic calls, right? The iconic bang and so many, so many different. Yeah, I, I forgot about him. I'm right, honest. Mike Green just barely edges out Kevin Harlan for my favorite NBA announcer. Yeah, number four. Yeah, I forgot about him. But he definitely deserves to be here. I don't know if I'd put him at number four. I don't think I'd say he's better than Kevin Harlan. But he is a great announcer that certainly deserves to be in the top ten. Um, and especially just for how long he's been doing it. Right. Now, my number four. Now we're getting in. My next three are just my three favorite NFL announcers. Obviously backwards ranked. So my number four is Al Michaels. Al Michaels amazing announcer done some stuff for a couple networks currently on NBC but in the past he's he was he's done stuff with ABC um he's a play-by-play football announcer and he's kind of the perfect thing with him and Chris Collinsworth match up perfectly because they both know a lot about the game and they both get pretty excited but Chris Collinsworth if I had to say is knows a little bit less about the game and gets a little more excited then Al Michaels knows a little more about the game and gets a little less excited but they both get very excited both know a lot about the game and they're both just great announcers who have been doing it for so long 
Right. I, I'll move on to my number three. I have. I also have Al Michaels. Um, extremely talented, right? As you said, he, he knows a ton. Doing it for forever, right? Um, he's done. He's now with NBC. He used to be with ABC, right? But, right, as you said, matches up really well for Chris Collinsworth, who I have lower down on nine. But he, he I think his most famous broadcast is, is not football, but it's the 1980 Winter Olympics. It's the Miracle on Ice, which I didn't know he called until today. That's really cool. So, yeah, I have Al Michaels at number three. Yeah. So then my number three is Chris Collinsworth. Um, Chris Collinsworth, amazing announcer. I talked about him before a little bit with Al Michaels. Little, little bit, little bit knows a tiny bit less than Al Michaels. Still knows a lot. Gets a little more excited. And I'm edging him out of Al Michaels just a little bit because he, he's kind of the perfect ratio of like getting excited but being able to sit in his chair and talk about it a little bit while still getting really excited. And Chris Collinsworth, one thing about Chris Collinsworth is he just shows his love for the game of football when he's announcing. Like, he really likes the game. He loves doing it. He loves watching it. It's clear he's not just in for the money, you know? Yeah. I'll move on to my my number two, which is Tony Romo. Um, obviously he, he knows so much about the game that it's wild. He can predict, it seems like he, he can predict any, any offensive play on any, on anything, right? He, yeah, that's the I thing think, about Tony Romo. That's the great thing about Tony Romo. You know, he knows more right. about the game than I'd say any other announcer here. And the right. thing is, he's not like Troy Aikman, where Troy Aikman played 30 years ago and the game's so different. Tony right. Romo played recently, so he, he knows played. so much about the game. He right. can predict the plays. He's amazing at reading reading defenses from the broadcaster's booth, which right. is so insane. It's, and yeah. Right. He, he only retired in what, like 2016, 2017? Yeah. It's like he he it's like he's the offensive coordinator. So he's getting calls from the offensive coordinator while the game's right. happening really, to know right. what's he going plays, up. Right. He plays Phil Sims, which I yeah. really like Phil Sims, obviously legendary Giants quarterback, but he added just he just had what Phil Sims didn't have, right? his his first yeah. iconic game was 2018 AFC Championship game yeah. with Chiefs and Patriots. And he, but by the way, where, I don't know if I mentioned, but he's my number two. Got it. he's yeah. your number two as well as mine. Yeah, Tony yeah. Romo. All right. So he's, I'll move on to my number my number one. Some you already mentioned, but it's Chris Collinsworth. You you don't you did not have my number one on your whole list. I might have forgotten or something because I feel like I I would have had them at least somewhere if it's your number one. But uh, it's Chris Collinsworth. Um, been doing it for a really long time. Played in the NFL also, but that doesn't really matter. He played. He's been played. Yeah, like, he he wasn't like a ago. he wasn't a great right. player. He's most known for being an right. announcer. But yeah, Chris Collinsworth, great announcer. Yeah, 
I, I'm interested to see who your number one is because I feel like I, I had to forget someone really important. My number one is Dick Vitale. Dick Vitale, an amazing announcer, just hilarious because he's like, you know, now is just this old guy that's going crazy and, you know, going insane, yelling his lungs off. And, um, you know, some of the, he just has some iconic lines, like when he's doing the Duke Carolina game, it's Duke Carolina, baby. And, um, just like going crazy, yelling, but also does know a lot about the game of college basketball and about the players and knowing which teams are good, getting really mad when teams that don't make the tournament that he thinks should have, you know, like he's just an amazing announcer, really exciting dude, been doing it for a long time. And I think he's the best current sports announcer. I forgot about Vic, Vic, not Vic Vitale, Dick Vitale. Um, I, I don't know, just wasn't thinking college. Yeah. But I guess that wraps up today's episode. Sorry for the audio issues at certain points. Having a bit of internet issues. Hopefully they will be fixed by Friday. But thank you all for listening. Check out our Instagram at All Star Sports Podcast and our website www.allstarsportspod.com. Hopefully see you next time and peace out. Peace.